Well, I want to welcome you back to our sermon series, Engage. In this series, we're taking a deeper look at Jesus's four essential habits. These are habits that we need to engage in if we're going to grow in our knowledge and understanding and experience of God as our extremely loving Father, Creator, and Savior. We also need to engage in these habits if we are going to grow in our ability to remove those automatic sinful responses that are entrenched in our thinking, feeling, and behaving. Because here's the reality. Until our identity is securely rooted in and attached to God, and until we're able to identify those thoughts, those feelings, those behavioral patterns that have got us stuck, we're not going to be able to live like Jesus. We just won't be able to. We're not going to be able to relate to our anger well. We're not going to be able to forgive. We're not going to be able to love our spouse well, let alone our enemy. Hopefully your spouse isn't your enemy, right? We're not going to be able to extend mercy when mercy should be extended. We're not going to be able to refrain from lust. We're not going to be able to be patient. We're not going to be able to be kind in, even in difficult situations, We're not going to pursue peace in our relationships. We're not going to be able to see God's image in every person we come in contact with. We're not going to be able to refrain from unhealthy, ungodly, prideful judgmentalism. To me, this is precisely where growth in Christ-likeness is so counterintuitive. You would think that if I want to become a more forgiving person then I just need to go after it, right? I directly need to focus on being more forgiving. Or if I want to stop lusting, that I just need to attack the lust, and I just need to come up with safeguards that will protect me when I surf the Internet and will let my spouse know when I go to something I shouldn't. Or if I'm struggling with the love of money, I just need to go right after that and start giving more and more stuff away, and that will take care of my love of money and stuff. But here's the truth. Your inability to forgive, your inability to refrain from lust, your inability to be free from the love of money is symptoms of a deeper problem. They're they're merely symptoms of a deeper problem. The reason you can't forgive is because you have yet to grow in your understanding and your experience of God as your loving creator, father, and savior to the point that forgiveness flows out of you naturally. And you have not identified the thoughts and the feelings and the behavioral patterns that have you entrenched in bondage to unforgiveness. If you're struggling with lust, the reason that you are unable to abstain from lust is due to the fact that you haven't grown in your understanding and experience of God as your loving creator, father, and savior to the point that you are so satisfied in him and you no longer need to seek satisfaction in objectifying human beings. And you have identified those thinking feeling, and behavioral patterns that have you hooked in bondage 
to that sin. You see, the more God becomes our supreme treasure, the more we experience the pleasure of knowing him as who he is, this wonderful, extremely loving creator, father, and savior, the more we are satisfied in him and in him alone and who we are in him, the more we understand and not um, believe these lies that are circulating in our hearts God's kingdom ways playing out in our lives just becomes a lot more natural. In fact, it's possible to become the sort of person that it's harder for you to not forgive than to forgive. It's possible to become the sort of person that it's more difficult for you to respond in anger, in, in, in unhealthy ways, than it is to be patient. It's possible for you to become the sort of person that it's more difficult to lust than it is to refrain from it. This is what Jesus can do in a person's life. This is the inward transformation he can bring. You see, if we only try and get rid of the symptoms and not the disease, the disease will resurface again. We have to go to the roots. The disease beneath all of our symptomatic sins is a failure to know and experience God as he truly is, to know who we truly are in God, and a failure to recognize and root out those erroneous ways of thinking, feeling, and behaving that are so deeply entrenched in us, that are like well-worn ruts in our soul. This is the disease that needs rooted out, and the symptoms will take care of themselves. And that's why I believe there is no better New Year's resolution that you can make than to grow in the four habits of Jesus that will allow you to grow in those two overarching objectives of growing and knowing and experiencing God as your extremely loving Father, Creator, and Savior, and being able to root out those thinking patterns, feeling patterns, and behavioral patterns that have you stuck in sin. So that's why we're focused on this Engage series, because it's through these habits that we train with Jesus so that we grow in those two areas so that then we can live like Jesus. Anybody want to live like Jesus? Does anybody want to be able to walk through life with the peace? Does anybody here want to walk through life with such a humble and gentle and kind heart? Does anybody here want to walk through life when somebody offends you and hurts you? Forgiveness, just, it just comes out of you. It's not even hard anymore. You just, you just forgive. Does anybody want to, want to walk through life and not be in bondage to lusting after things that God has not given you? Don't you want to be free? It's possible. Let's pray and we'll continue to look at these habits. Jesus, we are so grateful that you came to give us an abundant life. That's why you lived the perfect life we couldn't. That's why you died the death that we deserve to die in our place. That's why you were raised from the dead to give us abundant life. 
that starts now and goes on forever. Lord, I pray that as we continue to look at your habits that enabled you to live the way you did, that we would grow in our understanding of these habits, that you would implant in us this extreme desire to want to engage you through them. And I pray that 2020 would be a year that all of us live more fully out of the freedom that is ours in you, Christ Jesus. And as we do, it would be such a testimony to your resurrecting power, our resurrecting king. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so last week I shared with you that I believe the number one barrier to engaging God through prayer is a failure to truly treasure Jesus in our heart of hearts above everything else. To truly believe that God is the most wonderful, glorious being that exists and that it is in knowing him and it's in knowing his son that real zoe, abundant, abundant eternal life is found. A lack of prayer reflects the gap between our confessional faith, right, and our functional faith, how we actually live. A lack of prayer is not living as what we say about God is true. And so the first step in engaging God through prayer is to really treasure God supremely above all other things. Because once that happens, prayer will happen. You will fight for it. You'll do whatever it takes to draw near to this God that you believe is supremely valuable. And we will be interested in learning more about prayer, how to make our prayer life as richly as possible. If God is your supreme treasure, you're going to be interested in what I have to say about prayer today. Because your desire in your, in your deepest uh, recesses of your heart is you want to know him, you want to see his glory, you want to understand it, you want to experience it. Like Jesus' disciples, you, in your heart you're saying, Lord, teach us how to pray. Teach me how to pray. Is that you this morning? Have you settled in your heart of hearts that intimacy with God is the greatest gift one can experience in life? If so, you're, you're ready to learn. If not, if you have not settled this, you're not really going to care much about what I have to say. You just won't. And actually, I would say a better use of your time is not to listen to what I have to say. It's to really think in your mind and heart, what is the supreme treasure of my heart? And is it worth the sacrifices I am make, making to continue to worship what is on the throne of my heart? And if I get what I'm hoping to get from what I'm worshiping, will it be worth it? I would spend the rest of this time thinking about that. Don't listen to anything I have to say. I really mean that. For those of you who know Jesus is the supreme treasure, let's look at what we can learn from Jesus' habit of prayer so that we know how to pray. Let's start with the first question. When should I pray? 
when should I pray? Let me read you a few verses from a couple of places in both the Gospel of Mark and the Gospel of Luke that tells us when Jesus prayed. So Mark 135, let's start there. Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. How about Mark 6, 45 through 47? Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. Now when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the seas, and he was alone on the land. How about Luke six twelve? Now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. These passages have Jesus praying at all times of the day, don't they? Right? So Mark 135 tells us that Jesus got up very early in the morning to pray. Before it was even daylight, the verse says. So it was dark. It was still dark. That's how early he got up. Mark 6, 45 through 47 says that Jesus broke away from the crowds that he was ministering to during the day to pray. Luke 6, 12 reports Jesus praying all night long. This, these verses tell us that Jesus had alone time with God the Father in prayer at all times of the day. And then on top of praying morning, day, and night, the Gospels also record Jesus like praying all the time. Like when he preached to crowds, when he ministered to people in Matthew 11, just after Jesus denounces certain cities for their people, for their failure to put their faith and trust in Jesus, Jesus spoke those very, just after he spoke those very famous lines, come to me, all of you who are heavy laden, Jesus, what he does is he bursts out into prayer and he says this, in Matthew eleven twenty five, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. Right before Jesus feeds the 5,000, right, Jesus, he busts out in a prayer of thanks. Jesus did the same thing at the Last Supper before he distributes the bread and the wine. Each time he just goes into prayer mode, right? At the tomb of Lazarus. With Lazarus there, his dead body in the tomb, Jesus was talking to Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha, and there was a crowd around him, and his disciples were there, and right in the middle of talking to these people or talking to Lazarus' sisters, John 11 records this prayer of Jesus. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died, come out, bound hand and loose him, in, or hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. All these verses show us that Jesus seemed to have this attitude of prayer as he went wherever he went. 
And so he always seemed to have this running conversation going on with the father. And that's why he was so effortlessly able to just bust out into prayer at any point, at any time. Jesus, who taught in Luke 18.1 that men always ought to pray and not lose heart, he practiced what he preached. He, he did it. So what does this mean for us today? Here's what it means. If we're going to emulate the prayer life of Jesus, if we're going to pray like him, we must learn to have concentrated times of engaging God through prayer in solitude, and we must learn to converse with God as we go about our day. This is how prayer truly becomes not just something we do from time to time, but becomes a lifestyle. This is how we don't just have a prayer life, we have a life of prayer. This is how it works. And so, in terms of the concentrated prayer times that we need to have with the Lord, you need to find the time that works best for you. What time of day are you at your best? That's the time of day that you should have concentrated time of prayer. If that's in the morning for you, do it in the morning. If that's late at night, do it at night. If that's in the middle of the day, find time in the middle of the day to have this time with the Lord. For me, it's the first, time, first thing in the morning when I'm drinking my cup of coffee. That's when I'm at my best. That's when I have concentrated times with Jesus. For you, it may be a lunch break. We're all different. Now, Jesus' relationship it really, with the Father it really mirrored healthy relationships that we have, right? In my relationship to Mary, if I only had concentrated, focused times with her where we sat down and we had soul talk and we looked at each other in the eyes... But we had no like ongoing conversation as we went through our days and our weeks. We're going to feel a bit disconnected. I think we felt that way even this past week. There was a little bit of disconnection. On the same or on the other side, if we only had these kind of running text conversations with each other, but we never had those concentrated times where we could sit down and look each other in the eye and have soul talk, then we're going to feel disconnected as well. And because God is the most important human, or not human relationship we can have, but the most important relationship, surely we need both concentrated times and we need a texting conversation going on with God as well. Um. There are certain ways you can do this, and surely you can think of probably better examples and more examples than I can in terms of having a running conversation with them. But let me, before I give you some examples, let me just say this, that concentrated prayer feeds spontaneous prayer. It's because I have concentrated, focused times of prayer with Jesus that I'm able to have a running conversation with him. And, it, and it's because of those focused times that I'm able to, pr- to pray spontaneously in various kinds of circumstances, environments, and situations. Quality conversation with the Lord fuels ongoing conversation with the Lord. Let me give you a few examples of how you can have this running conversation, this ongoing conversation with the Lord. So before you meet with someone, you can set aside five minutes before the meeting to engage God through prayer in regards to that meeting and that person. 
And then after the meeting, you can spend five minutes in prayer, like debriefing with God, processing the content of the meeting. That's one way you can do it. When we're with people and we're sitting with them, we can simultaneously have an internal conversation and dialogue with the Lord. We can pray to God as we're listening to a person, Lord, help me to see the issue that they are having, the real issue. Help me to see the work you're doing in this individual's life. Wow, Lord, it's so cool that you're moving in this way in this person's life. You can have that internal dialogue with the person you're talking to. Uh, as you're talking to that person with the Lord, as you're talking to the person that's in front of you. I remember my spiritual director, uh, Bill, who I've mentioned many times. I remember he has these long pauses in our conversation. And it, I always found it awkward. And so I finally just told him, why do you, why do you like just pause? Like, and just there's like this no words. And he told me, Shane, I'm praying as we have a conversation. And I was like, man, that's so cool. Now it's not so awkward. I actually like it. And he's not in a hurry, right? I'm, you know, a lot of times I'm in a hurry. He's not in a hurry. To him, nothing's more important in that moment than being with me. Jim has said Jesus's ministry was the person right in front of him. What if we're praying for the person as we are having this dialogue with them? It takes practice. You can be clumsy at it at first, but what a gift to that person. Another way we can pray without ceasing is through breath prayers. Breath prayers are these short, simple phrases of heartfelt desire and trust, right, towards the Lord. In a difficult situation, we may be we can, we can sit and we can pray and we can breathe in saying Jesus and then we can breathe out your will, your way, your time. We can do that repeatedly. Jesus, your will, your way, your time. Jesus, your will, your way, your time. The breath prayer that Jesus has put on my heart a lot, Jesus Relax, help me to relax in your easy yoke. Jesus, help me to relax in your easy yoke. We can pray if we're feeling insecure, Abba, I belong to you. Abba, I belong to you. What a delight it is to have this ongoing conversation with the Lord as you go about your day. It's like you're living in the kingdom of God. In the midst of just regular activities, you got one foot in the kingdom of the heavens with the resurrected Jesus, and you're journeying through your day with him. Look, this is where abundant life is found. This is it. This is it. Like, I wish. Like, the more I experience this, oh, man, nothing compares to this. It takes training. It takes effort. It takes a desire and a want to. When should we pray? We should have concentrated times of prayer, and we should be praying without ceasing, ongoing conversation with the Lord. When I'm at my best, I'm preaching and I'm praying. I'm looking at your faces. Lord, what do they need to hear? How do they need to be spurred on? What aspect of your love and devotion for these people that are looking at me do they need in this moment, in their difficulty, in their struggle? Lord, guide and direct me 
I don't think that was clear. Lord, help me to make that clear now, right? All right, so that's when we should pray. Where should I pray is the next question. Uh, So we learned that Jesus just had this attitude of prayer that wherever he went, he prayed. But when he had those concentrated times of prayer with with his father, in, yeah, so where, where did he do this at? Well, the Bible records Jesus praying in a garden. It records him praying on a mountain. It records him praying in the wilderness and in deserted places. In fact, I don't think I can think, and maybe you can, I can't, I can't think of any time that Jesus prayed inside when it was, when it was just him and the Father. Can you guys think of any time he prayed inside a building when it was just him and the Father? And, of course, Jesus was okay with people praying indoors. In fact, you know, he taught in Matthew 6, 6 that people who struggle with the temptation to be recognized for being a prayer person, that they should go in their room and shut the door behind them and pray in secret. So he's okay with us praying inside. But Jesus, he prayed outside. That's what he did. Um, And although Jesus played in various places outside, there were always two things in common no matter where Jesus prayed. He could be alone with God, the Father, and he could be without distraction. Those were the two things that Jesus looked for. Of course, sometimes there were his disciples were nearby. And so where should you have concentrated times of prayer? Where you can be alone with the Father and undistracted. That's where you should pray. Like Jesus, when it's nice out, I love to pray outside. I love to get a chair and sit out where it's beautiful, you know, just in, in where there's fields and there's a winery I'll go to. I'll just sit my folding chair out there and I pray. And I love it. And I think that why Jesus probably prayed outside all the time and why I enjoy it so much, and perhaps you do as well, is because you're looking at God's handiwork. You're looking at his amazing creation, and that is speaking to you about his power, his love, his intelligence, his wisdom, his creativity. It's all there as you're engaging with him in prayer. It makes the perfect environment for prayer. This time of the year, when it's cold outside, I find it hard to be outside in, in praying because the cold is too much of a distraction. The discomfort of the cold is too much of a distraction for me in prayer. And so what I do these times of the year is I get up real early in the morning. I sit on our love seat. I have a cup of coffee in one hand. I have my journal on my lap, my Signo Uniball 207 in the other hand. And I have the blanket my mom got Mary for Christmas on my lap with our space heater going before anybody in our house is up. And I love it. It's the best part of my day. Love every second of it. I got to get up early because if I don't get up early, the boys come down and Andy Griffith or Shark Tank's on and I get sucked in. So I got to get up early before anybody else is up. You've got to find the place where you can be alone with God and undistracted. 
And you got to use whatever you can to stay focused on the task at hand. If that means putting praise music in the background, if that means lighting a candle, if that means chewing gum, whatever it takes, we are free to pray wherever we can be alone and undistracted. Third question, how should we position our bodies when we pray? Like maybe you just don't know what to do with your hands, right, when you, when you pray. Here again, if you look at Jesus' life, we have a whole bunch of freedom. The scriptures record Jesus kneeling when he prays, standing when he prays, sitting when he prays, clo- or closing his eyes when he prays. You have freedom. John 17, 1, Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son also may glorify you. He lifted his eyes. So he's praying, looking at the heavens. Luke 22, 41, and he was withdrawn withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed. Matthew 26, 39, he went a little farther and fell on his face praying. Jesus prayed in all kinds of positions with his body. You've got to find the one that's going to allow you to focus the most. For some of you, it's going to be sitting at a table. For some of you, if you got on your knees, you would never get up again. And so that's just not even an option. Got to sit at the table. For me, I can't sit at a table. With the neck issues I have, I have to be resting back towards, you know, on a pillow if I'm going to be able to maintain focus. For some of you, you do your best praying when you're walking. For some of you, you you do your best praying when you're gardening, when you're riding your bike, when you're driving, when you're hiking through the woods, when you're woodworking, right? Whatever it takes, whatever environment is going to allow you to really focus on God, that's the environment you need to be in, and then whatever body position is going to allow you to focus on him, that's the body position you want to be in. So let's recap. When should you pray? Continuously, running conversation with the Lord, but you should also have concentrated times of prayer, and you can have those morning, day, or night. Where should you pray? Wherever you can be alone with God and without distractions. What position should your body be in when you pray? Whatever is going to allow you to focus. If you have to stand on your head and that's going to allow you to, you know, really focus, do it. I have to journal. Journal prayer journaling is what keeps me engaged, locked in. You may have to raise your hands and pray because when your hands get tired, it reminds you, oh, I haven't been focusing. Whatever it takes. The main thing is draw near to God. Experiment. Try all different types. Try what works or find what works for you in the season of life you're in. Take advantage of what Christ paid such a great price to give you. Access to God, a relationship with him, intimacy with him. Right now, we're going to celebrate and remember the tremendous sacrifice Jesus made so that we can live a life of prayer. We're going to remember that. We're going to celebrate that. And here's what I want you to do as the elements are distributed. I want you, just as Jesus, when he was with his disciples on the night that he was betrayed, just as he broke out in prayer, 
a prayer of thanksgiving before he distributed the bread, and then he broke out in a prayer of thanksgiving before the wine was passed and, and consumed. I want you now, as we pass out the elements, to engage in a prayer of thanksgiving to Jesus. I want you to specifically think about this past week and think about one way that you sinned this past week. Think about one way that you made a mistake. And I want you to think about it, and I want you to celebrate the fact that that sin does not stick to you. For those of you who are in Christ through repentance and faith, that sin does not stick to you at all. It has been washed away. It has is, it is been separated from you as far as the east is from the west. For those of you who still have not given your life to Christ, why not do so today? Why not come to Jesus this morning right there in your seats? Pray a prayer to him. You pray, to, pray a prayer to him now. In, inside, you don't have to say it out loud, but with your heart. Tell him, hey, Jesus, I understand that I, I am to live for you. I understand that I have gone away from you. I have sinned. Come, forgive me. I want that relationship that Pastor Shane is talking about with you. I want to be able to live like Jesus. I want to be transformed from the inside out. I want these desires and, uh, the, for not so good things to be washed away. Come into my life. Pray that to him, and then join us as we partake in communion. Will the elders and deacons come forward? Abundant Life family, why don't you stand with me? Pray with me. Lord, thank you that you desire such intimacy with us, such union with us. That when we're in Christ through repentance and faith, thank you, Lord, that it's no longer we that live, but it's you living in us and through us. Lord, thank you for this sacrifice that made this all possible. Lord, I pray that we would be a body of believers that would passionately pursue you in prayer. And when the passion waxes and wanes, we would still pursue you in prayer. It's in Jesus' name.